Hello, it's Mark from No Wristbands. This week's episode features Hugo Reyes. What do you do when you go to a show that changes your life? If you're this episode's guest, Hugo Reyes, you chase that feeling by going to as many shows as you can and dedicate your time to documenting the scene that you love so much. Hugo is a DIY punk, emo, indie, hardcore music writer located here in Chicago. He initially caught my attention while scrolling Twitter when I came across his discography of Castavet. I was struck by his thoroughness and the fact that he was covering one of those bands that is near and dear to your heart that you think you're the only one who cares for. He joins us on this episode to talk about how he got his start, why documenting the scene is so important, and most importantly, what he loves about the music he covers. Big thank you to Hugo for joining us. Make sure to check him out on Twitter at HVReyes5 and his writing on medium.com at hugoreyes-36858.medium.com. He also writes for The Alternative and hosts his own podcast called Watch Me Pod. As always, please check us out at our website at nowristbands.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at nowristbands. Thanks. Uh, we are joined today with Mr. Hugo Reyes. Uh, he is a punk and indie and hardcore and emo music enthusiast who is, has a podcast as well as writing um, many columns on that variety of music. How are you doing today, Hugo? I'm all right. Excited to be here and talk about my two favorite things, Chicago <laughs> and music. There we go. <laughs> Us exactly. too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's just start out with it. What Talk to us about how you got involved uh, in writing about music or just um, the music scene in general. We can start yeah. at the music scene that we get to write. Yeah. Yeah, I think it all starts for me in college. I went to school, uh, Loyola University of Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was kind of my first experience with uh, music outside of like the radio, the radio, or like it was very, it was a very tangible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend that grew up on the same stuff, like Alkaline Trio, a lot of third wave emo mm-hmm. stuff, like Fall Out Boy or whatever. Yeah, for and sure. he starts showing, he starts showing me stuff that's happening now, like the Menzingers or whatever, we start going to shows. Um, I meet someone, my old roommate and co-host for a podcast called Running on Punk Rock and Roll at a, sh- at a show, Brendan Kelly of the Lawrence Arms is playing. Yes. We both great, get- I have a great Brendan Kelly story once you're done with this. Because uh, everyone has a great Brendan <laughs> Kelly story. <'cause laughs> he's usually very drunk when you meet him and loves yeah. to talk. Um, <laughs> so I kind of barged my way onto that show. And it's um, for people who aren't in college radio, there's two separate uh, kind of fields or whatever. There's independent radio, which is for the college students. And you're required to play stuff from our rotation that bands and labels will send in. Mm-hmm. But he was, he was, um, he already worked for the radio station and had his independent, not independent, but like free form, which means he can pretty much do whatever he wants. So he was interviewing people on there. And I kind of barged myself on there as like a sort of like expert, but I was just going to local shows at this time. Uh, like my first show, local shows in 2015, seeing Dowsing at Fireside Bowl. Uh, and I was, and, and that they played like three people and I was like, they were like the biggest band to me. And I was like, oh, why does nobody care? And then there, <laughs> were some, there were some local bands or whatever that I was getting into. And I would invite them on. So that's kind of how I insulated myself into the scene. And I did that for about three or four years. I stopped in 2019, picked up music writing because I was starting to spend more time on Twitter um and just seeing places like the alternative and stuff cover this stuff and mm-hmm. and like alongside seeing these bands play i was getting into more like diy music journalism i was a big uh listener of better yet podcast with tim chris huge inspiration for me and realizing like i could apply these same values of of like diy punk to writing and that like mm-hmm. you don't need to be like you don't need to have like a certain requisite skill to write. Like, mm-hmm. cause before that I only thought of it as like Rolling Stone or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You had to go to school for this or whatever. And so that's basically how I get started. And then I've kind of been hitting the ground more. I, um, 
the radio show was kind of burning me out. It was kind of difficult working with two other people and that had different levels of engagement. So since then, I've been kind of just writing on my own for, I have a medium page. That's kind of like whatever I feel like writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And now writing for the alternative, which is cool. And it's kind of like a one-stop shop for everything else. I do a hardcore column called step to rhythm named after the turnstile EP, Mm. uh, just trying to like catalog what's coming out. And yeah, like that's my basic journey. It's, it's been 10 years, but it's cool that like I, to get to a point where people actually somewhat care what I, what I have to say, even as like, I'm just some person that sits on a couch and writes stuff occasionally. (laughs) Hey, uh, all those people are just some person who sits on a couch, just, you know, sure. they just may have different connections than you, but that's awesome. Um, well, and, and, and everybody's looking for some sort of a source to keep them updated on what's happening. I mean, you know, that's part of the reason that we kind of started what we're doing, but um, so if, if you're willing to put in the work and, and let people know that's, that's an incredible thing. Yeah. And you always want to like the advantage I have is just being on the ground in Chicago. Like, you just doing the more grassroots journalism, you're able to give insights that nobody else can. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're just around for longer, you just pick up on stuff that like, it's like, Oh, I have information that is actually, actually useful. Yeah. And like, just especially in punk, how, how quickly uh, the generations cycle over. It's like every five years, because essentially mm-hmm. you get a new group of college kids coming here mm-hmm. and that kind of, stuff just moves really fast. So if you're even around for that long, like five or six years, you just, you kind of have a leg up and can be a different source compared to like a writer on pitchfork who gets a press release and has this easy to bite information and cycles it into the review. Like no hate, like everyone's trying to make money, but like, I just, you just get a different perspective being on the ground in a local scene. Yeah. hundred percent. If you go to enough local shows, you are an expert. Totally. Yeah. And then, you know, to your point, like bands cycle through so quickly, you have somebody like retirement party who is like, they're less than a decade old, right? They were probably like five years old. Yeah. And, they, like, have, and we've seen this whole exactly five years old and we've seen this whole life cycle for them now. And they're coming out the other end and like, you know, somebody like me, I, I feel like I have a pretty good, good grasp of that stuff, but I probably only heard about them like last summer or a year ago. And it's like, oh, dang, they're already ending. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Like I only, I knew about retirement party because I was friends with the the original guitarist, Nick Cartwright mm-hmm. and the original drummer, James Ringus. They were in like in their older emo bands or whatever, when they would play to like 20 or 30 people and all their fans were people in other bands, which is mm-hmm. like, the funny thing when you're on a local <laughs> level is like a lot of it's just playing to other bands. And that's kind of how these, how these scenes even thrive or survive. And occasionally you get the one that's like, Oh, people care about this band. Like this right. was just my friend doing yeah. this thing. And you're like, I can't believe this band is the one that like blew up. Right. You yeah. Know, yeah. You never know. It's it, you mm-hmm. never know who it's going to be. And that's like part of the fun. But it's like as someone who's always trying to recommend stuff, it's like the thing <laughs> I didn't think much of is like the one everyone likes. It's like, okay, <laughs> sure. Well, yeah. We want to ask you to shout out who that is. Uh snow like snow Ellet. Um, oh yeah, I did read that that article. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I wrote about Snow Ellet for my like guide to Chicago Emo Revival mm-hmm. part part four. And it was a recommendation from Chicago reader, writer, Lear Leal, because I was just interviewing him to help me mm-hmm. just buff up my information. And then it kind of got picked up by some blogs and like Ian Cohen, like the emo tastemakers or yeah. whatever, and then got rid up in pitchforks. So it was like a very, it was like this very incremental crawl and is like a good example of like what these self-sustaining ecosystems can do mm-hmm. that occasionally a place as toxic as Twitter can be like a source for good (laughs) (laughs) because like, that's like, it's such a small circle that like Mm -hmm. if sometimes stuff gets passed down and it's like, Oh, this cover looks cool enough or I don't know. Prince daddy is tweeting about it or somebody it's like, okay. Or you just have the right for fans of like, 
you say Fallon's a Wayne and Oso Oso, and somebody's like, yeah, okay, I'll give this a shot. Mm-hmm. Dude, that new Oso Oso album is crazy. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a big Oso Oso fan. So that was so I'm very much in the bag for the new record. It, it, <laughs> and you're you're so right. Like there are so many bands, it's like hard to hit on all of them. Like we interviewed Julia from Rap Boys a couple of months ago, and she was telling us that she heard about Snow Ellet from her friend who lives in Cleveland, who's like Hey, have you heard this Chicago band? And she's like, no, I, what are you talking about? Then heard them was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just how, it's just how, it, how it goes, especially because everything's online, especially in this like weird pandemic era mm-hmm. that it's like the word of mouth is just totally different. There's so much Chicago stuff. Like even if you go band camp tagging just for fun, mm-hmm. like it's hard to know, like, if it's going to be good, no offense. Like, cause uh, so it's nice to have that little, that's the recommendations are for uh, to just have it from a trusted source. It's like sure. somebody who already filtered through this. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. You may it's like such a, It's such an, a lower barrier of entry than it used to be. You know, I, I remember not to like age myself, but I remember going to the fireside in like the early two thousands and like, Oh, I only, I had 10 bucks and I wanted to see the honor system. And like the honor system was having a record release show and the album was 10 bucks. And I was like, uh, I'm not going to go, but I'm going to give my friend 10 bucks to get me the album. And like, now that would totally. never be a thing, right? You can be like, Oh, I'll just go find them on Spotify or listen on Bandcamp." Yeah. It also makes it harder though. It's like, my point is that there's so much information yeah. at you that it's especially going back. Like, I was a big Broadway's person oh, um, yes. and the honor system was very recent also because there's that weird auto tune on the vocals, but that first record single file is like, yes. On Chicago punk, like yeah. It's like yeah. a Chicago punk classic. To oh, me. Yeah. And also it's like one of those that like era of that particular part of Chicago punk that kind of dips into that emo stuff. It's like super, it's like super noodly and naughty um guitar work i really i really do love that record yeah it's so good yes to your point that that first in nails the first single on song on single file when they hit that auto tune i remember being like 16 and being like wait what the hell is happening here (laughs) yeah because it's very early for that i don't know i don't know like what the story is behind that but it is like it is jarring because it's not a thing you see until like you really get to like the hyper pop stuff now well, somebody's so, got to get to the bottom, the bottom of the yeah, story. We have to find them. Yeah. Trying- yeah. I know Dan, the singer doesn't like to do interviews. He, he owns ground control, which is a vegan restaurant in Chicago for anybody okay. who doesn't know, but I think he's pretty, pretty much burnt out on music. He's also had a weird kind of trajectory because he was in um, slapstick, like, yeah. During that whole Skyway. Yeah. And yeah. And it kind of <laughs> is the weird thing where it's like people's going from a band that like almost signed to Epitaph and was a thing to like the Broadways, which was while I love them, uh, a lot of people didn't care about to like the honor system again. It's, it's that weird sort of drop. I imagine he just kind of burnt out like a mm-hmm. lot of people do <laughs> doing. Yeah. Punk. I, I think to like you were saying about the, like how cyclical these waves are and how quickly they go. Like you can listen to any album of that era. That's like a fireside band, quote unquote, like mm-hmm. listen to like Lawrence arms albums from that era or like the ghost or, or honor system. Right. They all sound like so similar in like the sound, not like musically, but like you can tell they came from like the same era. And it could be a lot of it is who they record with. Like mm-hmm. that's kind mm-hmm. of what, makes uh i don't know solidifies a certain sound like like in florida in the 90s like all the death metal bands kind of sound the same because they're all recording at the same studio that's a good point it's a very good point um so what was your first like real like aha punk moment in chicago like for me i remember going to see hot water music at the fireside and being like holy shit like this is so bare bones like there's like barely even a stage is like the dirtiest place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> and it like really hit for me. I think for me, like I said, it was that dowsing show. Cause I knew about fireside cause like of YouTube and stuff, but like having that tangible feel 
of like, oh, like I didn't even know what a local scene thing was because I was like, I guess like a pseudo loner in mm-hmm. high school. Like I would just chill in my parents' house occasionally, mm-hmm. go out on Fridays, but like I wasn't really listening to punk in high school. So like the local scene stuff came much later and seeing a band I loved like dowsing uh play and like i said not to a lot of people but like the the bands that people were stoked on were the local ones like uh this this band turn spit or i saw sincere engineer when she was still an acoustic and i think being able to follow her from uh an, an acoustic act to like this full band thing really I don't know, really showed me that this was like a thing that I could be on the ground floor on mm-hmm. and there's not this barrier to entry. But it happened much later, which I think is like half of like a lot of my 20s has been like playing catch up because all of my friends were like playing that I met had been playing in bands since they were in high school. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't have that those four years. And it leads to this weird, weird gap for me where I felt like I had a lot of knowledge holes to yeah to fill in and it, it leads to my sort of obsessive compulsive nature I have <laughs> now that. where it's just like oh I've never heard this uh-huh. okay, uh, okay I need to I need to listen to this or I find a new band and it's like okay I'm gonna type it into Sophie's floorboard blog spot uh and see if I could find something so I'd say the dowsing show is really like the the eye opener that like this is this is something tangible and something i could i could find on my own without like any guidance so uh, speaking of that what was there anybody along the way that you know you know you made friends within the scene that was like here i'm gonna i'm gonna show you the ropes or or i'm gonna um whatever i'm gonna mentor you or or i'm, um, I'm gonna introduce you or whatever it was it was kind of a cross-section of people mm-hmm. i think because the scene I was a part of was so small that like any new entrant, it's, it's kind of tough to break, to break in. Cause they're, it's clicky, but mm-hmm. like they saw me coming around and like, I have severe social anxiety. So I would just get stupid drunk <laughs> and just walk up to people. Been there and, before. Yeah. And I was, a, I was kind of a punisher, but like, I don't know, like people, people were stoked that anybody cared because these were, these are bands with maybe like a hundred to 200 monthly listeners mm-hmm. that just play their friends so that anybody that they saw someone who cared this much, yeah. they were willing to let me in. And I think doing my radio show allowed me to cultivate friendships and reach out to people that were, um, that were outside of that mm-hmm. scene. Like I, like, like I mentioned, like I invited Tim Crisp on my radio show and also David Anthony, another writer who's been very important to me and is now mm-hmm. a friend. Um, and it, and like, it just afforded me like the connections to start to build a community because now I'm in this weird space where all of the, my, the friends I was first meeting are getting to that age where they're kind of slowing down. Mm-hmm. They're not really as invested in, maybe what's happening outside of their friend group. Like, mm-hmm. so I've, so like being on Twitter now and stuff has, has allowed me to branch out once mm-hmm. again and find and find more people to connect with. But I'd say like a cross section, like there, there wasn't like one person, okay. um, but also I'd probably shout out Vito Nusret at M- MP shows. Who's been around forever. Um, MP mm-hmm. shows used to do, the the booking at fireside back in the day Mm, um and was somebody like i was just like that was always trying to open me up and just be more talkative and stuff so yeah there's 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 a lot of people and i'm thankful for all of them because it's allowed me to have uh like genuine friendships that i didn't know Mm -hmm. i could have because it's very common after you graduate college at least for some people to like Mm -hmm your to kind of tighten up your friend circle mm-hmm. and sure. i've been i've been lucky that that's not the case at all yeah so uh, when when you have an in, intense enthusiasm for something that's kind of out of the norm you know the the normal person doesn't doesn't share that when you meet people that are like-minded i mean that's 
that's perfect. To- totally, totally. And it's it's like uh, you kind of understand each other on a yeah. level because you're on secret language. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. And it's it's much easier now than it than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's over, where you can do it over the internet too, and <laughs> and find your own people. Mm-hmm. Um. So pre-pandemic, how many shows a week were you going to? Like, I imagine that like you you're like you love live music or you love music, so you're like I got to go check out all these bands. Are you going like every night? Is this like uh, once a week? No. What does it look like? I so I had a period maybe when I was like 24. I did do like eight shows and seven nights Ooh, oh man <laughs> and then i got a flu after that <laughs> and like or i would do like like my favorite thing to do would be go to a house show that ends around 10 then go to the second half of a bar show and mm-hmm. like just walk there mm-hmm. so i think now like it depends but like maybe once a week which is still a lot uh just because it's like it's my main way of socializing. So like, yeah. I still like to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd say like before the pandemic, like maybe once or twice a week, it depends. Half of it is like just boredom. It's just like, I, <laughs> and I, I have to reason like I do a bunch of writing and stuff. It's like, I just have trouble sitting still and just, mm-hmm sitting in contentment it's like okay mm-hmm. i'm like already thinking ahead <laughs> like oh it's been a, it's been like a month since i posted anything to my medium page uh okay let's think of ideas and i'm trying to be better about just not always being in that mode because that's also just like a capitalism thing that's like you always got to be producing mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's it's fun so that that segues nicely to my next question, which is like I love uh, your deep dives on your your medium page. Uh, the one that really sparked my interest, and in when I reached out to you, was the cast of that one, um, CSTVT. I think it's cast of that. Yeah, they had to change that. It's cast of it. They had to change the okay. name after getting a cease and desist, like in <laughs> twenty ten or eleven. Gotta love from a happens. metal band. Yeah. Uh, how how do you go about choosing what you're going to write about, like what you're going to dive in on? Uh, it kind of needs to almost like, like seize me. Like I can't, like I, I can start it, but I need to almost become obsessed with it or it's like, I don't feel quite like relaxed until it's finally finished. And that one was an interesting one. Cause that was like, maybe like a year in the making. Um, Cause I got the idea after I did, I did like a 10 year thing on dowsing for the medium page Mm-hmm. and eric mentioned hey are, what's the next one you're gonna do and i didn't even think about that and he's like you should do cast of it and i i thought yeah maybe maybe and i had a relationship with the drummer josh because he he's in like a duster slowcore kind mm-hmm. of band uh i can't remember it's called sore spot and i reached out to him and asked, hey, would you be down to do this? Could you get the emails for everybody? He's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's going it's gonna to be a little difficult because not everyone's responsive. And I, knew, I know they're working on something. I can't say what it is. <laughs> but, uh, so I did that. And then I interviewed Josh, kind of sat on that for a while. Was, and like part of just the anxiety of reaching out to people I don't know. I know it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like, thank you for being so cool about that. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, yeah, totally. It happens. Uh, I understand it's, it's weird to just reach out to a stranger. Uh, But yeah. So then I slowly got the other two and then I, I tried reaching out to the singer, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, he didn't respond for like a month. He followed up. And I, and I, he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then I respond to him and I don't hear anything for like a month or two and everything else is done. And, mm-hmm. and I know he's really hard to get a hold of because he's also, he's all, he's, he also works in the medical field and stuff and is like super busy. And I was, and I just kind of decided like, 
it would kind of feel right for Castaway if I wasn't able to get a hold of a member. And I just didn't <laughs> feel like chasing him anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And you feel it, bad it, about it, that. Yeah. And it, I get it. And it's, and my thing is if he wants to talk to me, he can, but like, I'm just not going to keep, keep chasing. And like, I still felt like I was able to paint the story of a band that wasn't totally documented mm-hmm. uh, just because they, they weren't like into it over. They didn't like become one of the main bands when you talk about Chicago and I'm still pretty proud of what, of what that story became, but yeah, it's just, it just needs to seize me. I need, I need to mm-hmm. be obsessed with it. And like, and it's all I can really focus on. Yeah. That strikes me as one of those bands that hit at the wrong time. If it was like a couple of years earlier or later, they would have made more headway. Um, Nick was in this really great band before this. Um, he was roommates with one of my friends from college that was called Oceans. Oh, yeah. Oceans uh, is great. Yeah. Love Oceans. And then Will actually dated one of my old roommates for a while. So <laughs> so that's yeah. like when I heard about them first and then like she, my roommate, she was like, hey, I'm dating this guy who's in this band and then or like was formerly in this band. And I was like, holy shit, it's that band. And I was like, <laughs> I love that band. Yeah, and Castlevania's a weird one because I don't think they would have broke really. I because they weren't doing like the soaring world is stuff that kind of peaked during 2013 or the hotelier thing. <laughs> I think they're like a perfect encapsulation of 2008 to 2012. Nick literally started the band after he picked up a uh, Fender Twin Reverb and started just noodling and being like i want to play in a band that sounds like Mm -hmm. american football but they don't really sound like american football because he was in oh he was in oceans which is sort of post-rocky but not in the same way as american football and they're from the midwest and they are inspired by small brown bike so that stuff isn't i don't i don't know to me they're like the quintessential um chicago emo band where i think they're their legacy is respected, but not like lauded the same way. Also, because people always talk about the first record, Summer Fences, but in my opinion, it's not really representative of where they went with like Echo and the Light when yeah. it kind of just Good became point. a punk band because mm-hmm. uh, they just started playing with all with all these bands that played fast like Grown Ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they're like they're caught in between. They end just as people were starting to pay attention to emo again or whatever and you get the the emo is back and then you get the bite back no it's not you just weren't paying attention <laughs> and all that fun stuff then you get the the patron saint of emo uh ian cohen blessing that article right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i know that had to be a little bit surreal yeah i can't imagine being around when that all happened like it was you know i think I think Ian's gotten better in terms of being an advocate uh, as he's aged. I don't know. I wasn't, I was like on Reddit. I wasn't on Twitter during the emo wars of 2010. <laughs> so I, I don't even know, but I know there's a lot of people at each other's throats and it feels a little better because at the end of the day, it shouldn't be about the egos of the writers. It's Absolutely. about like, it's about getting, these bands more attention because touring isn't sustainable and being a band isn't sustainable as mm-hmm. it is. So, well, cause you have bands like Foxing that are, that have a lot of fans that are still struggling uh, yeah. to even like make it a full-time job. Yeah. Foxing is yeah. great. They just keep leveling up. Like each yeah. album is just like so much more layered and nuanced. It's awesome to see. Um, So let's talk about what you were saying about emo. Like, I, I've, I wrote a question that like when I was in high school and like early two thousands to mid two thousands saying like emo was like almost like a derisive term, right? It wasn't like a, a cool genre of music. It wasn't like, it wasn't kind of like how it is now where it's just like kind of catch all for, for thing, you know, there could be very different interpretations of what emo is. And it, totally. it's kind of like a catch all for something that doesn't quite fit in one bucket versus another. When do you think that that changed? I think it's really the I think it's really the twenty the twenty the twenty times that kind of changed it. And you you not only have people like Pitchfork, but you have 
Tom Mullen from Washed Up Emo, who is like a mm-hmm. really strong advocate. And essentially, like, let's say from 2008 on, you have people push finally pushing back against the stuff I grew up, which is third way, which is like, no, that's not real emo. Emo is the second wave, the 90s stuff that's like descended from from hardcore and mm-hmm. I think it's the it's the work of a bunch of advocates like saying, no, this is a genre that deserves a close examination because I think the issue is when something becomes reviled, people don't give it a like a critical look. And I don't care like how silly a genre may seem from the outside. It deserves critical engagement. Like I've I've been thinking about that a lot with folk funk lately, which like just jokingly, when's folk punk revival happening? Scott, everyone was talking about Scott last year. When's that yep. gonna come? And I know a lot of people hate that, hate, hate it. Um, and yeah, that's like I think it's just like advocates talking about, hey, um, I honestly love emo, and you have writers that grew up with that stuff. They're now mm-hmm. in a place where they can write about write about this stuff and give it some legitimacy because pitchfork in the 2000s was filled with people that legitimately hated emo like you look yeah. at all of those reviews mm-hmm. and you'll occasionally see like a weird one like bear versus shark getting like an 8.0 but most of the <laughs> time it's the first pair like the the writing has very little to do with the album so i think it's just a lot of the 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 work on the ground being done and then you were <laughs> the only issue now is like emo becomes such an amorphous word that yeah. it could just mean anything with loud guitars it's it's <laughs> it's kind of the pushback of kind of the thing that happened in the 2010s where like i love joyce manor but like they're a pop punk band but yeah if like someone younger than me wants to call them an emo band like sure because hey. they've influenced a lot of stuff that's that is emo now, but it's, I think that's partially why I like, you know, just because the definition is so fluid and it just makes for like a really interesting breeding ground for, for conversation. Cause it's, yeah. it's like integral to the genre to argue what is and isn't because <laughs> in the very beginning, like people were like emo core. That's, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. If you're well, not rights it- of spring, get out of here. And and sometimes it takes, uh, you know, a few years to pass where you can go back and have perspective on it, uh, uh, you know, to look back and and see where it's been and see where it's come from and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really understand trends until mm-hmm. it happened, which is always the fun in trying to document a movement as it's as it's happening. Right. Because you, you don't really know, like when you're trying to. I don't know, figure out the discrete periods. You don't really know where they end or begin until it's, it's been like five or six years. Mm-hmm. And you get the, the little anniversary pieces that kind of knit it up in a nice way so you can understand it. Yeah. It's uh, always gotta be fun to be one of those gatekeepers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, well, yeah, I hate that word, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Well, that brings me to a question, Um, you know, as a writer, um, and I don't know if you describe yourself as a as a critic or anything, but, um, you know, do you find yourself wanting just to write about things that you love and are passionate about? Or do do you enjoy like writing stuff about things that you don't like? Um, You know, critics are are out there judging everybody. Um, You know what what Mark and I are doing? I mean, we just want to go out there and support and talk about and write about um, uh, things that we love. But, you know, as a writer, how are you approaching it? I generally go for like stuff that I am enjoying, but I think it's important to have a balance because if you're just uh, praising everything, it's like, what's the line? Like what makes Mm -hmm. something bad to you? And I think for me, I try to, come from the point of uh, objectivity is a myth and I have my own background Mm -hmm. for why I like stuff. Like I don't talk about it online a lot, but I am pretty like, and I'm, I'm not into indie rock at all right now. I had like a time in my life where I was 
kind of into that stuff. But for me, it's not speaking to me. And if I was, if someone was to ask my opinions on most of that stuff, it wouldn't be positive. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be positive. But the the easy like way to not hurt anyone's feelings is just to say not for me. Mm-hmm. But it's but I'm it's also a difficult space because things like social media, like especially Twitter, don't allow for negativity. So and. I've had I've had friends be like, not threatened, but like, not docs, like, just had been dogpiled because they said kind because of, they wrote a middling review of a band mm-hmm. with like a following, and I don't think a writer should be dogpiled because they stated their opinion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So not. I think there's a del- I think there's a delicate line, and I think it's partially why someone like. Ian Cohen has a microscope because people will point out, oh, the Gaslight Anthem review for Get Hurt. But just because you don't agree with someone, that's fine. Like, but like people should be able to state their opinions, but it's, but I think because we care so much about music, sometimes people tend to fuse. Like if you don't like this band, you don't like me or something. Mm-hmm. That's that might be me projecting a little bit, but I've been there. No, and- I, I, th- I think it's like we, you know, we when you sign up for Twitter, you start following people, right? So then it becomes this echo chamber of of what you like, right? It's not like I'm not going to follow fucking Donald Trump, right? Like it's never going to happen because I don't. He's a terrible person. Um, sorry, I'm not trying to get political here, but you're not, I'm not going to follow people who, who like are aligned with that school of thought. So then like it's an echo chamber. It's making me feel good because people are, are backing up the things that I think and I feel right. So then if you have somebody who you're like, yes, I have this somebody who's part of my crew and they're saying like, no, this thing's just okay. And you're like, no, this is amazing. Like what the hell happened here? You're supposed to have my back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, I want to be like supportive. Like if I'm writing about something, it's because I liked it and like, I only, I don't really state my negative opinion stuff just cause I don't, I just don't want to deal with people getting at me. I just mm-hmm. don't have the, I don't have the courage to do it right now, but I think there should be a space for positive and negative. I yeah. it's because if you don't allow for that space for both, you have these pendulum swings Well, right now we're in hyper positive, but the snark needs to get out. Well, like mm-hmm. it, it, it needs, it needs somewhere to go. And if you, and I don't want to go back to the days of like, I don't know, buddy head and people talk about like uh, the blog, the blog days and, and stuff where like. Yeah. There's bands a time were eviscerated. Yeah. But yeah, it's also that. like you're choosing to share your opinion and, it's more fun or interesting to talk about something that you like than I think that's something that you don't. I mean, like for us, we have a website that we will talk about. We have a section called dig in where we talk about like upcoming shows and music. And it's always stuff that we like. It's not like we're going to be like, (laughs) it's like, Oh, Hey, you know, um, I don't know. Like Miley Cyrus is coming to town. Don't waste your time or money and go see her. You know, like we're going to support somebody who we're like actually passionate about. Right. Yeah, and I think when you're at a smaller level, that's like the way to go. It doesn't make sense right. to give a platform to stuff you don't like because that's just not the energy you want to give out. Yeah, and <laughs> and 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 the thing about disagreeing, like the people that know Hugo Reyes and they read your stuff and they read your Twitter and they listen to your stuff, it, you know, if they know you and they're disagreeing with you you sort of you can understand where they're coming from because they understand where you're coming from. But generally, it's the people who know nothing about you and they see you said something negative or controversial or whatever, and they just jump on without any of the context, without any of the perspective, which is, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest problems with Twitter. Yeah, totally, totally. So uh, we're going to ask you a couple more questions about what you do and then we're going to segue into some chicago questions so uh what what bands do you see as like up-and-comers in the chicago scene right now mm-hmm. <laughs> or, like uh, what bands are, are exciting to you at the moment yeah. um, you wanna... i'll go with the couple i okay cool is one that's that's been on that's been on my radar they're kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of indie pop with 
a little bit of emo noodles. They're they're super. If you want to talk about a band that's like super supportive of Chicago, their their Instagram stories are always like full of shows they're at. And I I've seen them play a couple times, and it's I don't. It just has like a fun exuberant energy of mm-hmm. of like college kids that are like like that same way I was talking about myself like yeah. mm-hmm. like six or seven years ago, and I find that really exciting. They're like doing it like on a DIY DIY level. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know what else that I could that I could think of right now. I've I. I haven't been great about keeping up with more Chicago centric centric stuff lately. Uh, I already sh- shouted out Snowella, but I think the next EP they're going to put out is going to be great. I'm just a fan of what what he's reaching for right now, which is mm-hmm. like 2000s pop punk put through the prism of power pop. Uh, so always here for the power pop. <laughs> yeah, so those are those are two that I could think think of right now. Um, are there any like non-Chicago bands that you got your eye on? My like, I want to. I hope they make it and they end up being really big. But the one that like I'm all about right now is Second Grade. I don't know if you know them or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm into the format of what they're doing. Short, short songs. Yeah. Uh, super, super poppy. Uh, I think are they in Double Double Whammy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a generally good indie indie rock label uh, stuff that i'm trying to think it's it's always hard when you're put on the spot to, yeah to <laughs> i'm so sorry no no you're you're totally good i think an, an easy one right now is daisy uh, out of mm-hmm. out of richmond virginia just did a song with military gun uh if we're it's kind of like if Godflesh tried to write power pop songs uh just super diy and uh James Goodson just has a really good ear for for stuff. He's also uh he's also a publicist who sends me stuff, so that's always that's always fun. But I think it's called Maximum Blast, super loud. It's similarly to second grade, like super short, compact, but like full of that kind of '90s power pop stuff that seems to be like in vogue right right now. Yeah, I'll take it. Yep. Um. So now we're going to ask you some Chicago questions. So feel free to add as much or as little to your answers as, as we go. Okay. For sure. All right. So uh, are you a fan of, of deep dish or, or thin crust slash tavern style pizza? Uh, as a Chicago South sider, I got to say thin. I feel yes. like any self-respecting <laughs> Chicagoan is going to say thin. Exactly. <laughs> What's your go-to spot? Uh. Use, I'm originally from Bridgeport, so Phil's Pizza on uh, uh, 755th. Uh, there's no. one on 55th, but I I think, but 35th, it's like it's maybe like a mile and a half from the Sox Stadium. Yeah, kind yes, of yes, at yes, the yes, edge, yes, 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 edge yes, of the yes. neighborhood. Uh, it's bagged. You just gotta make sure to order mm-hmm. it right because they do overstuff the ingredients. I had like a pepper. I had, like five or six pepperonis on top of each other <laughs> oh. so you gotta before yeah. so you gotta tell them white on mm-hmm. the toppings get it well done super crispy okay yes and, that's the way to do it yeah and and that's um if i had to pick something near where i live now which is like logan square i'd go with dante's which is new york yeah. style but like it's a good spot just super super good and kind of converted me to to uh not being a full new york style person but like that you won't I'm now, it. yeah i won't poo poo it okay yeah. um, I, lo- I love getting that bag pizza where the grease is kind of soaking through the top of the <laughs> yeah. oh yeah it's a seal of approval right yeah. there yeah the only <laughs> you just got to be careful like <laughs> when you're trying to get that home to make yeah. sure it yeah. doesn't like spill over that's the only thing with the bag is yeah. There, there's a risk of mm-hmm. spillover. But there are like few feelings better than just like ripping that bag right open, yes. right? I mean, yes. like we're getting after it. Oh, yeah. I agree. <laughs> uh, what's your, your favorite venue to see shows at here? Or what are some of your favorite venues? Uh, right now, I've been going to Bee Kitchen a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really Kitchen. like that room. It's like, it's just small and intimate enough. Yeah. Uh, it's got a coat rack. 
which is very important <laughs> for me during this time of year because I hate sweating at, uh-huh. at a show, especially because I've been going to a lot of hardcore shows lately, and those places get very, very Heat sweaty, quick, and a lot yeah. of bodies up against each other. In terms of like where it sounds the best, Lincoln Hall, I saw mm-hmm. Illuminati Hotties there. Oh, yeah, a couple and, weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. But it just sounds like terrific there. Sleeping yes. Village, similarly. Yes. Has, yep. I, like just rooms that have a very good treatment. Because I've just going to shows for so long, you become spoiled. Where it's cool to see shows in like weird rooms. Like I went to <laughs> see Fiddlehead at Chi-Town Football, which is like a like a indoor soccer facility oh, yeah 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 Where they, like the, the drive-in movie theaters not, yeah not right. yeah yeah but the ceilings are like super high mm-hmm. so sound doesn't isn't the best and as i was at that show i was thinking this would be better if it was at the kitchen there you or, go <laughs> yeah. or sleeping well it's just yeah just because i i it just sounds better in a room that's meant for for live music yeah. so those would be my two all right i like it I'm going um, to see uh, Bad Cop, Bad Cop at Beat Kitchen next week. Highly oh, nice. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad Cop, Bad Cop's cool. Yeah. I'm trying to think of one of the last things I saw there. I saw I've seen Camp Cope there, which was awesome. And this is a fun part of the podcast where I just list off random shows. Every <laughs> We're moving on. We're moving on. Uh, what do you think makes the Chicago music scene unique? Uh, I think it's just very self-sustaining. The people that are here are very involved and want to see it see it thrive. You and just like I, I was talking earlier, like you get these little small pockets. So if, if you are someone that's starting to go to shows, you can find your own people, at mm-hmm. like fifty or a hundred, and create create your own thing. We have a lot of we have a lot of venues. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's that. It's just a self-sustaining community, and everyone's really invested in seeing it thrive. And when we see one of our own succeed, like like Rap Boys or something, mm-hmm. it's it's cool. It's cool. It feels like you're you're a parent seeing your child do <laughs> something cool. Yeah, that's a win for us. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Then you feel that pride, and you're like, "Don't you say anything bad about this band." Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, and, you know, it's it's also cool because we're like a, kind of a transplant city. So we mm-hmm. get we get a bunch of different people mm-hmm. in the mix. And I think it makes her a really interesting like mixture because you have people who come from the West Coast, people from the Midwest, people from Chicago and suburbs and mm-hmm. people from the East Coast. Uh, yeah. And w- there's just a certain pride we have not being from the coast that just makes it a little bit different. Uh, I, I, I think because everybody, you know, everybody's going to stop in Chicago, whether they're coming from New York or California or whatever. Um, and so we get to see a lot of cool bands. And I think that just inspires people here to, you know, do their own thing. Yeah. I always say that's like a band has to come through Chicago. So they have to like kiss the ring. They have to be like, Oh, pitchfork. We love you. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. We're good. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know if you, if you like buy records, go to record stores. If you do, do you have a favorite record store? Uh, Tone Duff Records in Portage Park. Uh, it started mm-hmm. by an old, an old punk named Tony and it's pretty new, but it's got that familiar atmosphere where I feel it feels like home, especially when he's working. Uh, cause most of the time we just kind of BS and talk mm-hmm. and talk shop. It's got a good selection of everything, especially as like a punk kid. It's that's kind of like the test if you have a good selection of that. So I can come in and if you're if the dishes you're grabbing from are good. So I recommend that. And it's a for it's affordable. Uh, like I hate going to a record store where I know you're upcharging where like a $25 record costs 32. Mm, There's yeah. one I'm thinking of in Wicker Park <laughs> that I won't name, but it, but it'd it's, be reckless of you. No, that's not the one. <laughs> oh damn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's all, that's always a, a bummer where like a shop has a good selection, but it's mm-hmm. just costs a little bit. Cause 
I love records, but it's an expensive habit mm-hmm. to keep up. Where Absolutely. Yeah. If I want to buy like four or five things, it's like at least a hundred. And if you're upcharging, then then I just don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. feel as comfortable in your shop. No, I, it, that's how I feel about like, this could be a weird analogy here, but tacos, right? Like, I don't want to pay four or $5 for a taco, right? Like I know how much a taco should cost should be like two or $3. So the same thing with records, right? Like I don't want to pay $30 for record. Like I'm good with like 20. And even that seems like could be a lot of times, but like, I get it, but I don't want to know that I'm being ripped off. Exactly. And like half, like with repeat customers, I need to kind of forget that I am, that I am a consumer and mm-hmm. that's like the trick where it's like, I feel this feels like a home away from home. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in humble park, I would, I would take a ridiculous journey to get up to, to Portage park, but it was worth it. Cause there was like no better feeling than getting home, right. sitting with yeah. a stack of records and being like, here's my to do pile. And right. I'm going to spend the rest <laughs> yes. of my Sunday afternoon, just going through it right. and filing it away. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the best record stores aren't a place where you just go to buy a record. You, you go to learn something there. Yeah, definitely. Um, what have you been listening to lately? We kind of touched on this, but it doesn't have to be like an up and comer. Like what have you, what's been moving you lately? So you said the new Oso. So you like that? Yeah, I've, so I've been go, I, for my podcast, we just did a deep dive on no idea records. So I've been listening to a lot of that stuff. Uh, so hot water music because they were mm. a big blind spot for me mm-hmm. because I always thought of them as like a, a beer PBR fest punk thing and I didn't really understand their lineage as like mm-hmm. uh, like as a post hardcore emo band and like they're a lot more interesting than Caution which has trusty chords which if you live in Chicago you hear that song all the time at punk bars so I've been listening to them a lot and Chris Wallard of Hot Water Music had an emo band in the 90s called Blacktop Cadence that put out one record that's pretty, it's pretty solid. It's like, it's not the best thing in the world. It's very much 90s emo, but I found a couple tracks that I've been listening to a lot. Uh, Chicago band Mush, which is mm-hmm. Eric Zaja of Dowsing and a couple other emo players just doing a just doing a band for fun it's pretty if you like dowsing and that kind of emo pop you'll enjoy that i have a whole list of stuff <laughs> uh drunk uncle who's also a newer emo band from that's on count your lucky stars from texas oh right you wrote about them they're the ones who came just moved up from uh from springfield no 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 oh, no they're they're, they're not a chicago one they're on but they're really they're really cool they're from like they're somewhere in texas encounter lucky stars is a very important label during the 2010s for emo and it's kind of reminiscent of that stuff it feels like something you can hear in a basement Mm -hmm. so if you like snowing or algernon or any of Mm, that stuff so yeah it's it kind of just reminds me of that stuff but it's still doing some interesting stuff so that that would be that would be the little list i'm I'm always cycling through stuff. I, mm-hmm. after like kind of being burnt out on, I go through these cycles where I'm burnt out on music for like two or three weeks. And then I have a week where I'm just listening to everything. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just <laughs> kind of how it is, especially when you're writing, uh, you, it kind of feels like you've heard everything, even though that's never the case, especially when you're like me and cover something like punk where everything's kind of in a recursive circle and referencing something that already happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I apologize. I was thinking of bottom bracket, which you wrote about. Yes. Yeah, bo- yeah. Bottom bracket put out something pre- pretty recently. That's also, that's also very good. Um, so our last question before we, we ask you to plug your podcast and everything is uh, we're big fans of, of cheap drinks here. Um, like you know, I love PBR. I heard you say it. I, was like, I hope he likes it. PBR or like, uh, gosh, totally Miller High Life. Yeah, High Life, uh, Rolling Rock. Do you have a favorite preferred cheap drink? Um, so 
I'll be the second guest. I, I listened to one of your episodes. Um, I am a reco- I am an alcoholic. Okay, what's alcoholic. your favorite non-alcoholic drink? <laughs> I'm sorry for asking that question. <laughs> no, if yeah. if it was when I used to drink, I used to do the good old Chicago handshake, mm-hmm. an old style on a shot of Malort, mm-hmm. and an old bar closed now called Quenchers used to do oh, for yeah, five dollars. Western, yeah, yes, Quenchers. That was my main haunt for a long time. <laughs> and biggest, I would do biggest urinal you've ever seen. Yes. It just, it smells like a dive bar shit. Uh, and I would do like, I would do that special in between every band. So I would be just sloshed by the end of the night. But now I kind of switched between a couple. Topo Chico is a usual one. Mm-hmm. I've been really on the spin drift train lately. Okay. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I think it's, it at least says on the cans that they put like actual fruit in there or something it's like <laughs> uh-huh. some sugar it's uh-huh. not totally artificial so it just adds a different flavor and it it feels a little more exciting than a lacroix which yeah to me is like very starter level when you're a recovering <laughs> alcoholic you're, but if you don't drink that stuff fast enough it just becomes this flat essence water yeah mm-hmm. that's not really what you want yeah. Yeah. I always feel like best case scenario with a LaCroix, it tastes like uh like flat pop. Yeah. And that's always a that's always a bummer. I like LaCroix, it has its place, but in terms of sparkling, I it's not the one I reach for. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh well I just want to say again, thank you so much for for taking the time today. Oh, wait, I do owe the listeners that Brendan Kelly story, if you'll humor me for like just a minute. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I went to a show at the Vic, and whenever I go to the Vic, I always go to L&L afterwards. It's like, has to happen, right? And I went with uh, one of our fellow wristbands, Wade, and we got there, and we were like well on our way and kept going, and they have a good jukebox there, and I go over the juke, and I'm like looking through it, and they have uh, Lawrence Arms on there, like best of Lawrence Arms, and I'm just like, oh my God, yes. I like, I'm like, I love this band. Like, haven't heard any Lawrence Arms in so long. Let me put some on. There's like nobody in the bar, right? I go sit down and I look to my right and there's Brendan Kelly just like sitting at the end of the bar. And I'm like, Oh, that's like <laughs> such an asshole. Like I totally, you totally think I put this on cause you're in here, but I really had no idea. Uh-huh. And, uh, that's, that's pretty great. Luckily he didn't get my shit about it. He was just kind of like gave me a nod, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really mortifying for me yeah. in that moment. I yes. sobered up real quick. So I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, tell us about your podcast. Okay, I host a biweekly podcast called Watch Me Pod. Uh, it's we call it a one day salad bar for punk emo and hardcore. <laughs> we kind of do it. We kind of ping pong between those three, doing a deep dive. We just did an episode on Count Me Out, two uh, thousand sort of straight edge band band from Richmond that we're both into and it's one of my longtime friends uh jim house who i met through going to shows back in the mm-hmm. day and we were having these conversations just nerding out about music and these and the niche subcultures we're a part of and it had been a couple of years since i did college radio and i was kind of getting the itch because i love writing but sometimes I just want to get something off without having to think about it Mm -hmm. too hard and not like, and not overthink stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's the basic premise. Uh, We just started at the beginning of this year. So we're still like figuring it out as we go, but I've been having, I've been having a lot of fun with it and it's kind of gives me something to look forward to every month with recording and posting it. And it's, it's pretty low, low effort. And I don't, I don't have as many of my neuroses tied in as I do <laughs> yeah. writing. It's just, yeah. well, it's just a nice thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Where can we find it? Uh, it's where you'd find your podcast, Spotify, mm-hmm. Apple podcasts, okay. mm-hmm. all awesome. that stuff. Good. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully we see you out at a show real soon. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Hugo. Good. Thanks for the time. Take care. Thanks, Hugo. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening today. We are No Wristbands. We drink for free. 
Music, of course, has been provided by Merlin Wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at NoWristbands.com. 